dismantling systemic oppression, strengthening local economies, fostering equity and inclusion, cultivating communities for social good. We are motivated to leave the world a more just and compassionate place than we found it. A lofty goal? Maybe. An unreachable goal? Absolutely not. This is the Impact Out Loud podcast, powered by Prospera Partners. Now here are your hosts. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Impact Out Loud. I'm Vicki Pazabon, and Ray Miller is here with me today as co-host. Hi, Ray. Hi, Vicki. Happy to be back. Good to have you. And our friend David Gaines is here. David and I have spent some time together over the last, I don't know, six, nine months. I'm not quite sure. But um, David, uh, I got to know you through the Social Enterprise Alliance, where you are the chair of the board of directors, and uh, got to know you through uh, being on the podcast. So thank you for having me on your podcast. And I'm excited to talk to you today about your book that you have on called Radical Business and about your social enterprises and your work in the social enterprise sector. So great to have you here. Yeah, this is going to be a fun conversation. It's just such a privilege to be here. Yeah, I'm excited because we had a great conversation when we first met. And then we had a podcast conversation about social enterprise and locally owned independent businesses, too. So we're going to get into all of that. But first, I'm going to let you introduce yourself, David, and give us a little bit of background on who you are and and what you're doing and uh, lead us up to the book. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a long question, but I'll give my best uh, intro. So I'm in Cincinnati, Ohio, and I got involved with the idea of social impact business through the world of coffee. I own a coffee roasting business. And uh, what drew me to the work was, I mean, I loved coffee, but that's honestly not the number one reason. The number one reason why I love coffee, um, besides my own personal consumption, is the amount of social impact that coffee can have. So our the company that we called is Laterza. So that's our name, and that's our way to it's Italian. So that's our way to say, "Hey, Italy, thank you very much for this espresso culture. We really appreciate it." So it's a way for us to give homage to um, you know what what that culture gave the coffee world. But the direct translation is the third, and uh, our primary DNA as a, a coffee roaster is to empower the third place. So it's uh, not your home, not your work, but a coffee shop would be considered the third place, kind of like a community living room. And most people who want to start a coffee shop, the reason why they do it is because we want to try to have better community, pull people away from their phones, actually talk about hard conversations. Um, so, you know, for us, it's it's helping people think through their business model, how to be successful. Obviously, part of that story is having really amazing coffee. And also on the other end of the spectrum of the coffee world is how do we ensure that we have a relationship with the producers that we work with around the world? And the heart behind that is is what does a living wage look like for every community and and really making sure that uh, dignity is uh, a part of the story for all of the stakeholders. And so coffee is just a really phenomenal way to to approach all those stakeholders. Yeah. Yeah, it's so interesting because we've actually had now three clients that have coffee shops <laughs> as social enterprises and really starting with that idea of third place, but also wanting to have that direct social impact either on their neighborhood or community or a community of people. Um, one of our clients currently is really impacting youth employment and really setting up a 
a path to employment through the coffee shops and the neighborhoods that they're in. So that's an interesting model. And then we have another client, Tudor Montag, with his business, Spirit Mountain Roasting Company, who was on our podcast recently, talking about his company, which is on an Indian reservation in uh, Fort Yuma, Arizona, California border, and deeply wanting to impact his own community and hiring from his own tribe, and really wanting to provide training and good jobs for his own community. And now he's just opened his first brick and mortar. So that's exciting. Yeah, super cool. Yeah. So it's interesting to me that coffee is, I wouldn't say an easy entry into social enterprise, but it really can be, right? Uh, I mean, there's several factors with with that statement. You know, coffee is actually the third traded commodity in the whole world. And, and so when we think about work, which is really, I think, the core of what we're talking about when we think about social impact, we're thinking about all work. So, so of course, coffee is going to be a big player because it, it just consumes so much of our market. Recently, number three, it used to be number two for a long, long time. Oil was the number one. It is now number two. And data is now the new number one. And I assume that that one's going to stay, stay there for a while. But, you know, one of the things that's really fun for me, I've been doing coffee for a long time now. And when we first got started, this idea of relational sourcing or ethical sourcing, however you might want to call it, was not completely unique, but relatively rare. What I am finding now is there's so many roasters around the U.S. that are doing this work. And, you know, and I mean, technically, they're my competitors. But, you know, the, the goal for me in doing this work with coffee is how do we transform the, tri- the, the entire trade? And so through competition, there's an awful lot of us that are on the same team. Mm -hmm. And I think that the thing that's in front of coffee is we could, we could set a brand new standard for what global trade could look like. And so the collective, even though we're in competition with one another on one hand, we're on the same team on the other. And the coffee industry as a whole, I think has a real big opportunity in front of us when we think about what social impact could be. And the question I have is, could we, you know, really go down that path through setting a new model. And then how do we translate that into other very large modern day slavery industries like textile? And, you know, I mean, even data can be sketchy sometimes. So, you know, what can we learn through our industry and share with the global trade community? Yeah, for sure. Um, Gosh, you got me, you got my mind going in like four directions. (laughs) Well, (laughs) Well, I went down a rabbit hole, so I usually don't talk about this until like later on. I know, but we we like but, to get right into it on this podcast. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I feel like yeah. jumping in, if you could lift up some of those opportunities that you see, like where have you already seen those opportunities to shift or move the needle and even within your own business? Yeah, yeah. Well, let me take a step back for a minute. Uh, so we got started on the question, you know, what drew me to coffee or, you know, what my background was. And again, the, the thing that ultimately drew me to coffee was it just has so many ways to have social mm-hmm. impact. And and so as I got involved, I just kept asking the question, well, what defines good? Like it, what drew me in was this was a quote unquote good business. But then as a consumer, I'm like, well, what other good businesses are there? And, you know, so I'm going back about 10 years. Tom Shoes was at the height of its popularity. Uh, you know, very clear message, buy one, give one. A lot of people really excited about that. I personally, I didn't think that they were not good, but 
that's not where I was finding myself wanting to spend my own dollars. And it was just, you know, again, like I think that there was a lot of good that they were doing, but I'm a little bit more of the mindset of, well, let's teach communities how to fish. Let's not just give them fish. And without question, people that are in the margins sometimes need fish too. So, so that's where, you know, I, there's this like nuance of what good even means. Um, so I just kept exploring, well, what does good look like? Are they really doing something good? My version of good is maybe a little bit different, but it's not that they aren't doing good. And, and, and the more I asked that question, the more I realized that good is very complicated. It's not binary. It's not a this or that. Uh, you know, what about the company that maybe is giving 10% back to environmental causes, but the way they, they operate their business is also like harming the environment, right? So is that good? Is it an offset? Like, what about the company that does 11%? And then it really became obvious to me that that good is just a very complex question when you start to get into maybe more social ideas that are not agreed upon, like anti-modern day slavery. Yes, we can all agree on that. Clean drinking water. Yes, we can all agree, agree on that. Uh, but, uh, you know, in our current political climate, there's an issue of whether abortion should be legal or not. And companies are taking stands on both sides of that issue. So I, as a consumer, have a very strong opinion about what I believe in and really just want to know what organizations are doing about that. You know, but for a company that maybe is taking a different stand than what my opinion is, they would argue that they are being very socially engaged, even though it's opposite of what I believe in. And so is one good or not good? I mean, I'm going to have my own personal opinions, but you know, there's a lot of opinions out there that are different than my own. So that's where it's, it, it becomes really complex. So radical business, the reason why I went with that title and as I kept just pushing deeper and deeper and deeper, what it means to be socially impactful as an organization, doesn't matter your tax status, nonprofit, for-profit. I just kept coming back to this basic idea of, could it be as simple as what we all learned in kindergarten, treat other people the way you want to be treated? And radical, yeah. And, and radical in Latin means root or origin. And so I just kept trying to go as far down to the foundational question as I could. And that's where I kept landing. So even if it was like, you know, again, like abortion, I'm sure that our, our listeners or your listeners are on both sides of that fence too. You know, what can we all agree on? And I, I think that when, when we think about health for the women, I, I think that that's a space that's maybe more common between the two opposite perspectives. So what is the root of that? How can we, uh, what can we agree on? How can we build up from that, even in the things that we disagree on? So I, that's what led me to, that's what kept me going down the rabbit trail. <laughs> well, yeah. Can I just lift up that framing? Cause we live in a climate that radical is seen as the polar opposite right. yeah. often. Yeah. And I appreciate that you're bringing in a framing that's like, where can we find common ground in that finding the root. So I just wanted to lift that up. Yeah. And I, I'm glad you said that, Ray, because when David and I first connected, we really connected on the idea that social enterprise is a very broad spectrum. And there really isn't one main model or definition. And there are lots of ways to come into social enterprise, as you say, for profit and nonprofit. And my background and work 
coming from local economy work and working with locally owned independent businesses was always around social impact. How are these businesses doing social good? And I love that you're questioning the word good. What does it mean to be a good business? Whether you're a social enterprise with a a, a social mission, whether that's a pathway to employment or whatever it may be. You know, there's lots of ways to get into the social enterprise world. And being a small, independent, locally owned business can absolutely be that. We've had that conversation on this podcast a few times, I'm sure, because I never shut up about it. But (laughs) (laughs) it is an important piece of this. And this is what I really like about your book, David. So again, we're going to talk about your book, Radical Business, the root of your work and how it can change the world. And what I want to know is why this book and why now? Yeah, yeah. Without question, that was one of the reasons why you and I connected. Not, Of course, we're connected because we're both passionate about using the tools of business to make the world a better place. But I loved your perspective around small business. And so many small businesses that owners that I know, they are not even aware of the word or the framing of social impact, social enterprise, conscious capitalism. They're just in it. Right. You know, they're just doing their thing and trying to make money and trying to uplift their local economy. They usually are about living wages. They usually are about like locally sourcing. And, and so there's inherently within them this some uh, many of these concepts that are already like inside of the work that they're doing. Right. And and you know, again, the more I kept going into it, um, not only do small businesses, they are the clear stakeholders. So as they do discover kind of this path, they're able to make quick decisions fast. Like, oh, yeah, living wages. Totally. I'm about that. Wait, I can employ this marginalized group of people too. And it only takes me this much energy or this much of a shift in perspective. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. You know, they're like, they can make very quick decisions. And again, they're already doing something social tent more often than not. And so the idea to add additional things that have social impact is not this like crazy new idea. In fact, it, it was, I would say it's a radical idea. It's going back to the root of what they're doing. The other thing that I just love about the book, the why now conversation, again, goes back to the small business owner. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that we are not aware of how much influence that we actually do have. So I don't know what made me think about this analogy, but it, but I, I was just trying to think about how to describe to small businesses and to consumers the influence that they can have in making the world a better place. And I stumbled upon this word picture and, and I did the math and then it made a, just, it, it just complete sense. Uh, if you weigh all the elephants in the world together, which I would say like corporate America, we would call the elephants in the room. They're monsters. They can, we think that they control all the economy. They're part of like, you know, these massive systems. And, and then all the ants, you know, if you weighed all the ants in the world, ants represent all the, all of us consumers and small businesses. Well, when you compare the two together, you know, clearly an ant is not going to move an elephant, but collectively there are 20, 000, uh, 20 times more ants in, in the world than elephants based on mm-hmm. weight. So you weigh the two together, <laughs> ants have 20 times more influence. And when I see corporations make changes, it's because the consumer and the small businesses are offering the opportunities. Right. There was a commercial about four years ago 
that I saw on TV from a, a national food brand. And it said, hey, we're no longer going to offer GMOs in our food, no artificial colors. And the reason why is because we wouldn't want to, we wouldn't feed you what we would feed our own families. And I, I mean, I just shook my head laughing. Like, that's not true. <laughs> the reason why they made that choice is because if they didn't, they were going to go out of right. business because there are a number of farmers markets within, you know, 30 farmers markets within 15 minutes of my house that I can choose real clean food who are all small businesses thinking about local and clean or ingredients. We are the ones that influence that change. So all the ants working together are the ones who were able to move that big elephant. That's funny. I remember so distinctly the moment when a major corporation used the term local. <laughs> it was it was Frito-Lay. <laughs> and it was, I don't remember what year it was, but it was definitely like 20, 2009, 2010-ish. And, you know, I was deep in the, the localism movement at the time. We were doing a ton of local food systems work. And they had a commercial that said locally sourced potatoes in our potato chips. And I was like, what? <laughs> locally sourced from where? Across the U.S. from their, you know, massive agri giant corporate farms, right? So fascinating to me what you say around the influence that we have. And it was the localism movement has influenced those major corporations in ways that we did not think we were trying to pull them down. Right? We didn't think they would co-opt us and the terms and change people's mindsets at that level by using those terms. It's pretty wild. I'd love to maybe add a layer in here too, and maybe a question for you too, yeah. David, being someone from Cincinnati and knowing it is the local landscape is so corporate dominated. So what is it like to to navigate that, right? Where the local economy is so rooted in some of these major corporations. And for those who don't know, it's companies like Procter and Gamble and Kroger yep. who have significant influence. Man, I, I absolutely love that question. Yeah, I always, when I describe Cincinnati, and I've been traveling a lot more because of the book and, and speaking on that, what I love, is, and I grew up in Cincinnati, so, and I live here. And so, uh, you know, I'm very connected to this ecosystem. What I find fascinating is a couple things within that. I call Cincinnati a small, big city. So it has all the big amenities. It's all the sports teams. It has uh, major universities that are doing some amazing work. It has a great art culture. It has a great music culture. So all the things that a big city would tend to offer, Cincinnati has it. It's also one of the smaller major cities. So because of that, like we're two degrees from anybody that works at P&G or Kroger. Like I think P&G is the number one employer, Kroger is number two. I think the University of Cincinnati is number three. Uh, don't quote me on that, but it's something uh, very similar to that. And so it's very easy for me to you know recall all of my friends who maybe work in these organizations. What I find fascinating with that is the people that I personally know that work for those companies they're really good people and they're jiving with this conversation. They are thinking about how do we do this differently? They are within those companies. They are in the procurement arms of those companies. They are trying to ask better questions about what diversity, equity, inclusion looks like in their supply chain. Um, those are massive companies. And so to change them is a lot of work. 
even within like diversity of the supply chain, a, a good friend of mine, she was an intern with me for several years at Laterza. She honestly knows me well enough where she could have written the book for me. Um, she is in the diversity supply chain of her field in, in P&G. And one of the issues that she's struggling with is that there's just not minority-owned businesses that can handle the demand. So part of the work is, you know, again, this takes time to do it, but part of the work, her work is then, okay, well, how do I form a collective? Here's maybe five minority businesses that can all do the same thing, that can mirror then what their current supply chain might look like. So it just takes time to put all that together. So, so that's an aspect of it. But fundamentally for me, when I think about all the changes in the world that I am hoping for, where I think the world might go, um, we're going to need everybody to do it. So, so that means corporate America is going to have to play. That means all these small businesses have to feel empowered where they know that they can play. And all of us that are already in the social enterprise movement or social impact movement, we got to keep leading that charge, but it's going to take everybody. And so my question to the like corporate America, like I, there's lots of things that they do wrong and lots of articles that are bit written about what they do wrong and they need to keep coming. But also like, how do we, how do I have at least a posture of invitation? Kroger had launched a foundation called Zero Hunger, Zero Waste. They're currently in and getting ready to buy a, another Albertsons grocery chain. They'll be the number two retailer in the whole world if that merger goes through. So zero hunger, zero waste, trying to tackle all of the food waste that we have and the environmental impact and all the things, and also match that with and all the people that maybe are hungry or don't have access to clean and good, healthy food. Well, guess who's the best position to solve that problem? It's going to be Kroger. So how how can I help? I, I don't know. There's lots of things that they're doing wrong, but I would f- love to figure out that question. Well, maybe we'll figure it out in the second episode because I want to, I w- we're going to take a break. Um, and before we do, um, we have a very specific question for you, that, a segment that we always do. But in episode two, I really want to talk with you more about the supply chains conversation because we can really dig into that and what you just touched on. So stay tuned for that. Part two is coming up. But for now, David, we want to ask you, um, we always end our episodes with an aha or a WTF moment <laughs> from our conversation or from the work that you've been doing. So I'll turn it over to you. What's an aha moment or a what the fuck moment that you're having? <laughs> <laughs> you know, the more I dig into this, the more I realize like it's just kind of what I just said. Everyone's going to have to do it. And and the more I'm trying to think through how to do my work and bring whatever imprint I can have into the movement is how do I empower everyone? Um, So, so this is not an example that's in the book, but as I've been speaking on it, it seems to be an example that is clearly painting the importance of the small, seemingly uh, so small that it doesn't have any impact, seemingly meaningless things that we can do. Uh, so I've been holding up a piece of paper when I talk about like the environment as a stakeholder. Does it really matter if we recycle one piece of paper on average per day? The answer is both yes and no. No, because it it, it just doesn't have any impact, right? It's not going to make climate change go away. But the answer is yes, because I am trying to incorporate new personal habits. I'm trying to incorporate new company habits. 
And the, the answer is yes, because there are 330 million Americans in the U.S., or people who live in the U.S., rather, 330 million people who live in the U.S. And if we collectively, on average, recycled one piece of paper per day, more than what we're doing right now, which I think we can all do, that means we would save about 17,500 trees per day because one tree, on average, produces 20,000 sheets of paper. So, And the number one thing that we can do for climate change is plant trees. It's the cheapest, most effective, easiest thing to do. And so imagine if we were able to save 17,500 trees per day and also plant all the trees that we're trying to plant to combat climate change. Now we're making progress. And so that one piece of paper, it just doesn't seem like it's anything, but it means everything. So the more I dig into this topic, the more I realize the small step is the thing that's what's most important. Yeah. Ray, how about you? An aha moment or a WTF? Yeah, I feel like I'm currently having an aha moment as somebody who grew up in Cincinnati and often would feel really like overwhelmed by that corporate presence and how do you influence that and who who can change that. But I love that analogy of that like one piece of paper. <laughs> it's almost like I am one piece of paper <laughs> and I can, you know, shift things. And, and it makes me think of my own relationships as well, where I have friends who also work for those companies. But the more that we're in conversations and they are questioning these things, they're the ones moving into leadership positions as well. So I also think that's a bigger aha moment I keep trying to hold on hope for is knowing leadership is shifting. So that means our organizations are going to shift as well. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll share my aha moment. It's that um, you're our second guest recently to talk about what I call, and I guess it's actually a term because I Googled it yesterday, (laughs) co-opetition. Oh, yeah. Right. This idea of like, cooperatively working in competition together. And you said it as we're in competition in the coffee industry, but we're all playing the same game. And our other guest from Chicago, Martin Sorge, was talking about this when he was on a reality baking show. And he won the baking competition, but they were all in competition with each other, but it was so cooperative and collaborative. And I think that is also a value and a a strong foundational piece of being in social impact work. We are the one piece of paper collectively coming together to save it all, do more together. So I love that. So that's a great wrap up for today's uh, segment, but we're going to come back with David Gaines and talk more about his book, Radical Business, on our next show. So join us in a bit. Thank you for listening to the Impact Out Loud podcast, the podcast that empowers bold impact for good, powered by Prospera Partners. If you liked what you heard, subscribe to Impact Out Loud wherever you get your podcasts and follow Prospera Partners on your favorite social media. If you are inspired to make community-based solutions and systems change, Prospera Partners offers workshops and programs that are open to all. For more information, visit prosperapartners.org. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, be well and do good. Mm